Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. Amen. As you take your seat, take your Bible and turn back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 I was where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're actually going to look at verses 1 through 41. That's a lot of scripture. I'm not going to read all that in a moment. We're just going to start by reading Acts 2, 1 through 13. Acts 2, 1 through 13. Go ahead and find that in your Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible in the book rack right there in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and begin to read it and learn about the God who loves you. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is worth spending our time. If you're new to the Bible, Acts isn't too hard to find. You go to the New Testament. Find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you'll find the book of Acts. So that's where we're spending our time, Acts chapter 2, as we continue this great book about how Jesus is at work in the lives of his people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, so I don't know. I know it's tax-free weekend. How many of you have been shopping this weekend? Well, a lot of you are wise and you didn't go. Good job. Uh, so, so we did because, well, we're... A sucker for deals, and it's tax-free weekend, and so obviously found ourselves at the Tanger Outlet, the best place in the world to be on tax-free weekend, right? So the good news, if there's any good news about going to a Tanger Outlet at all, is that my parents are in town this weekend, so when they come to town, they bring their wallet, and that's a really good thing, right? And so for the last couple of years, the last couple of years, they've bought my boys shoes before they go back to school, and so so Luke likes the Under Armour shoes, and so we went to the Under Armour store, which was a mistake. There were 10 million people in there. But he found a pair of shoes, they're bright colored, and he's wearing them this morning, and he looks great. Hudson, we took him to the Skechers store because we couldn't find anything in the Under, Under Armour store to fit him. And I don't know if you go to Tanger a lot. Obviously, I go there too much. I know these things. But they've rearranged the whole store. It's wide open, brand new looking. And so we were looking at the thousands and thousands of shoes that they have to offer. And we were trying shoes on his feet. And, and every time we tried a pair of shoes on his feet, he would say, they don't fit. They don't fit. They don't fit. No matter what size, no matter what width, whatever pair, they were too tight. Like, dude, you're wearing like the same size I got on my foot. There's no way they're too tight, right? But he kept saying, they don't fit. They don't fit until we finally figured it out, right? I don't know how often you've gone to Skechers, how often you've bought shoes from Skechers, but in the kids' section, they have these amazing shoes that light up, right? The, the sole, they just, they, and they put on light shows, and they blink and strobe and everything else. We put one pair of those light-up shoes on him, and guess what? They fit perfectly, right? And so now he's going to light up his whole school on all that kind of stuff. I tell you all that to tell you, you know how important it is to find a good fit. A good fit when you go shopping, a good fit when you try to find a church that's going to minister to your family, a good fit in your career. You know the importance of finding a good fit. So here's the question I want to ask. Think about our God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit fit? 
Because let's be honest, when we, when we think about God, we, we obviously think about God the Father. We think about God the Son, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again for us. And then we think about the Holy Spirit, and we're just not sure how He fits how he fits into our lives and how he fits into the work of the church. We just don't understand how he fits. And if you've been around Christian circles like I have for a very long time, you've seen how the Holy Spirit can fit in a bad way, right? You've seen just all kinds of crazy and weird things that, that Christians tend to do in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to ask the question, how does the Holy Spirit fit? We're looking at an interesting passage of Scripture this morning because in this passage, the Holy Spirit comes on his people and fills them. If you're a good student of the Bible, you might know this. If you don't know this, let me tell you. In the Old Testament, the Spirit is there. He's present. But you might know this. He comes on people selectively and temporarily. He comes on Joshua, for example, or David, for example. And when the Holy Spirit comes on people in the Old Testament, it is for a, a specific task for a specific amount of time. In fact, you might remember this. After David's sin with Bathsheba, he prayed to God in, excuse me, in Psalm 51. Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came on certain people at certain time for a specific work. But now in the New Testament, everything is going to change because now the Holy Spirit is going to come on all believers. He's going to live in all believers and empower all believers for specific works. And so we want to ask the question this morning, why has the Holy Spirit come? What does the Holy Spirit do? How does he fit into my life. And so let's look at Acts chapter 2 together. And I want to show you two ways, two ways that the Spirit primarily works in your life and in my life. And I just want to, to lay this out before you as we get started. You're going to need your Bible open. You're going to need to think this morning. This is a brain's own kind of sermon. You, you can't sleep this You can sleep, but it's not going to help you, right? I mean, we're going to get a little deep this morning. There's a lot in this passage I want us to think through. So, so come on now. I want you right at the outset to come in close. Let's not wait till later to come in close. Let's come Coming close now, and let's think carefully through what Scripture is teaching us this morning. So Acts 2, 1 through 13, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's Word together. Look at what the Bible says, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. 
We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all of them were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time to be together in your word to talk about really something we don't talk about a lot. The work of your spirit. How he's at work in our lives to accomplish your purpose, your will. And so, Father, I pray that as we talk about the work of the Spirit of God this morning. We would listen carefully. We need to hear what you're going to say to us this morning. And so, Father, help us to listen attentively with hearts that are open to receive your word. Help us to listen this morning with hearts that desire to be obedient to your Spirit. So thank you, Father, for the work you're going to to do in us right now as we put ourselves under your word, trusting your Spirit to do a work in us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So you remember, back in the Gospel of John, Jesus promised his disciples that he was not going to leave them alone as orphans. He was going to send them a helper, his spirit, who would come. And when the spirit came, he would bring to remembrance in the minds of believers what Jesus had taught them. He would empower them for the work of ministry. He would lead them into the truth. This was the promise Jesus made in John chapter 14 through chapter 16. And now we've seen it, right? As we've studied the book of Acts together the last couple of weeks, Jesus, as he is preparing to ascend back to the Father, to be at the right hand of the Father, he tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem because I am going to fulfill my promise to you. I am going to send my spirit. You are going to be baptized and the Spirit, wait. And when the power of the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so now that's what they've been doing for for, for several days. They've been waiting. We saw this last week in the upper room. They prayed together. They went back to the Word together and, and, and studied Scripture together. They encouraged each other, and they waited for Jesus to fulfill His promise. And then suddenly, at Pentecost, it happened. Now, you need to understand a little bit about Pentecost. If, if you know anything about, about Judaism or, or, or if you know much about the Bible, there were three major Jewish festivals each year. And, and during these three festivals, people would come from all over the region back to Jerusalem to observe these festivals. One you're probably pretty familiar with, Passover, when they remembered how Jesus had, had delivered them from Egypt. And they shared the Passover meal together. During Passover, this was the time in which Jesus was crucified. During Passover, man, thousands of people would descend on Jerusalem. There was another festival called the, the, the Feast of Weeks, Tabernacles. And during the festival of Tabernacles or booze, they would come and they would descend on Jerusalem. And there during that time, they would remember how they lived in the wilderness, not their permanent home, but in temporary home. And then Pentecost. Pentecost is actually Feast of Weeks. So at Pentecost, this was Pente, right? Prefix, 50. 50 days after Passover. And 50 days after Passover, people would descend on Jerusalem to remember a couple of things. One, to remember how God had given them the law at Mount Sinai and celebrate that God was a law-giving God who showed them how to live according to his will. But also they celebrated the harvest. 
That when they came into the promised land, after wandering in the wilderness, God provided for them abundance of crops, abundance of food. And so when they celebrated Pentecost, they celebrated the harvest. But on this day, on this particular observance of Pentecost, everything was going to change. And now, as the Spirit comes, believers are going to look back on Pentecost. And they're not going to remember the law. They're going to remember grace. That in His grace, God has given all believers His Spirit. And they're not going to remember a harvest of food. They're going to now remember a harvest of souls. Because on this day now, 3,000 people, we'll see in a few moments, will give their lives to Jesus Christ and surrender. Pentecost is about to be forever changed for these 120 believers that are in the upper room. And it happens. The sound suddenly of a mighty rushing wind. They've been waiting, wondering when it was going to take place, how it was going to take place. And then suddenly, a sound. And this sound that's like a mighty rushing wind, it is so loud. That, that it's not only those who are gathered in the upper room that hear it, people all over the city hear it. The Bible tells us they begin to make their way to the source of this sound, to this upper room, to see what was going on. The sound of a mighty rushing wind. This is interesting. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that's translated wind in the Old Testament is used interchangeably and translated also as spirit or as breath. So remember, for example, remember back to to Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve. When God created Adam, the Bible says that God did what? He created him from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. The wind of God breathing into Adam. Or you think, for example, about uh, the book of Ezekiel. You remember that odd passage in Ezekiel chapter 37? When, when God takes the prophet to a valley of dry bones, look, look at that valley, speak to that valley of dry bones. And when he does, the breath of God breathes life into those bones. Or remember, remember Elijah? After he'd been running from Jezebel, he ran to a mountain, and there at the mountain, The sound of a still, small voice, a gentle wind reminding Elijah of the presence of God. Now, here we are in Acts chapter 2, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. If you remember in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that the Spirit of God is like the wind blowing as he desires. Now in John, or excuse me, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God, the wind of God, comes on these people, breathing life into these believers, birthing the church. You see? The sound of a mighty rushing wind and fire. Tongues of fire. This is odd, right? Tongues of fire descending on the heads of people. Remember back in the Old Testament? Fire? When you think about fire in the Old Testament, oftentimes in the Old Testament, fire is used, right, to to give us an indication of the presence of God. For example, in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, God had made a promise to Abraham that he was going to have descendants and become a great nation. The promise had not come to fruition yet, but God told Abraham, it's going to happen. I'm making a covenant with you. And if you remember, he took animals and cut them in half 
And God came and passed through the halved carcasses, how? As a flaming torch. And if you remember, as the presence of God descends on Abraham on that starry night, Abraham is filled with what? Not joy, but terror. Fire of God is there. You think about Exodus chapter 3. Moses sees God in a burning bush. A bush burning with fire but not consumed. And if you remember, right, God tells Moses what? Don't get too close. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Exodus chapter 19 Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, what does God do? He gives the law to Moses and the people. And as God's presence descends on Mount Sinai, God comes in fire, thunder, and lightning. And, and, and God tells Moses to tell the people, when I come to Mount Sinai, don't get too close to the mountain. Tell the people not to touch the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they will what? They will die fire. And now when we come to the Gospels, before Jesus is baptized, John tells people who are gathering in the wilderness, I baptize with water, but there's going to come one who's going to baptize you with fire. And now it happens in Acts chapter 2. Fire descends on these 120 people that are gathered in the upper room. And the Old Testament When fire appears, what happens? People get scared. And you know this. You understand how fire works. I mean, on the one hand, whenever we see fire, we can't help but look. We're fascinated by it. But on the other hand, we've got sense enough to know to not touch the fire. You get too close to it, you're going to get burned, right? And what's amazing here in Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit of God descends on people as fire, and they don't get burned. They don't die. In Exodus 19, if you get close to this fiery mountain, you're going to die. Moses, don't get too close, right? The burning bush. Abraham, overwhelmed with fear, you see, in Genesis chapter 15. But now in Acts chapter 2, fire comes and it rests on people and they're not consumed. They don't die in the fire of God. Instead, they're what? More alive than they've ever been. Fire. Tongues of fire, because an amazing thing happens. As they are there, and that spirit comes and descends on them, they begin to speak. And when they open their mouths, everybody who is gathered, who spoke a multitude of different languages, they are able to understand what these people are saying in their own language. Now, you have to understand what was going on during this time. You remember, I think, back to the Old Testament and the story of the exile. You remember the Babylonian exile? People were taken out of Jerusalem, taken out of Judea, and they were scattered. And after the exile, people come back to Jerusalem, but not everybody. From generation to generation to generation, there will be many Jews that never made their way back to the promised land to make their homes again in Israel. They lived scattered across the empire. And after generation and generation, they would do what? They would adopt the culture in which they lived. And they would learn the language and and the, the country they were born. And so you had many Jews who would come to Pentecost, who would come to Passover, but they didn't know the language. And now here you have it. 
Jews from every nation, as Luke tells us. They are here at the upper room, and they hear. They hear these 120 men. They hear Galileans speaking, and they can understand it. This makes no sense, right? So in a sense, what you have is, is you have these believers, or excuse me, you have these Jewish people who have been exiled. And God is not bringing them back to a land. He's bringing them back to himself. Listen to what these men are saying. They're speaking about Jesus. Believe in him. We'll see that in a moment, right? But also think about this. If you go back to Genesis chapter 11, everybody with me? If you go back to Genesis chapter 11, you remember the story. People spoke the same language. And in their arrogance and pride, speaking the same language, what did they do? They built a tower. A tower, and in their pride, trying to build a tower that would reach the heavens to show how powerful they had become. And God came down and saw this puny tower they were building, and he scattered them. And scattered them how? Into different languages. And so now in Acts chapter 2, in a sense, you have what? A reversal of what happened at Babel. At Babel, everyone is scattered. Because of their pride. But now, what is God doing at Pentecost? He's bringing people back together. Letting them hear in their own language. Letting them understand, right? And in some ways, Pentecost is a preview of a day yet to come. Because there's going to come a day for us that we're going to be gathered around the throne of God with people who are followers of Jesus from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And what are we going to hear? We are going to hear in the same language. We're going to be able to talk with each other. We're going to be able to understand each other. God is going to reverse what he did at Babel as he brings people together under the name and blood of Jesus Christ. And so in Acts chapter 2, what you have is a preview, a reversal of Babel. You see, it's so rich what's taking place here as the Spirit of God comes. And, 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 here's why. Here's why the Spirit of God came, right? Understand this. The Holy Spirit has come to draw people to Jesus. I mean, it's so simple, right? In fact, if you go back to, to John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, He will glorify the Son. And what's going to happen here in Acts chapter 2 is Peter's going to stand up and he's going to explain what took place. And through that, he's going to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit has come to draw people to Jesus. You see, we get so confused about why we have the Spirit, what the Spirit does, but it's real simple, right? So we were driving somewhere the other day. I don't remember exactly where we were going, but we were in the car, and, and, and Pastor Trey and I, we've been working on this podcast. Some of you have heard it. We're trying to give you just another resource to listen to during the week to encourage you and bless you. And so I wanted Stacy to hear it in the car to kind of critique the sound quality and those kind of things, and so we were listening to it a little bit. And Hudson said, Daddy, is this what you do at work? Like, that's all I do, right? It's just record things with Trey. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I do other things. He said, that's right, Daddy. You go to work to get money. Like, yeah, I, I guess I do. I'd like to get some more of it. So I guess I need to get, keep going to work, right? And then Luke interrupted and said, no, Daddy, you go to work to practice preaching. I really didn't know I needed a lot of practice, right? I mean, I've been doing this a long time. But, but, but he said, you, need, you go to practice preaching, right? So in other words, my kids, they know I work. And they know when I get home, there's food on the table, but they ain't got a clue what I do during the day, right? They just don't understand. 
And for many of us as Christians, we've lived our lives not understanding what the Holy Spirit does. We know that the Holy Spirit indwells in us, that the Holy Spirit has come, and he's taken up residence in every one of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. But so what? So what? The Spirit has come. And I think what, what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 2 and through the rest of the book of, the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit has come primarily to draw people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me help you understand what this means for you. If the Holy Spirit has come to draw people to Jesus, then it's your responsibility and my responsibility to watch this. Be filled with the Spirit. Now that seems kind of weird and odd because we just said that the Holy Spirit indwells every one of us who are followers of Jesus. And so why do we need to be filled with the Spirit when the Spirit indwells us? You see, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Because Paul knew something that you and I know as well. That while the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we know this, it is quite possible, not only quite possible, quite probable to resist what the Spirit wants to do in us. You understand? And so as Christians, while we know that the Spirit of God dwells in us, we have a responsibility to do what? To cooperate with the work of the Spirit. Right? Because the reality is, and you know this like I do, I don't even have to tell you this. You're going to fill your life with something. You're going to fill your life with your dreams and goals and aspirations. You're going to fill your life with the pursuit of pleasure. You're going to fill your life with something. And Paul comes along and says, if you know the Spirit of God has power, and if you know the Spirit of God has a purpose for you, instead of filling your life with that something, fill your life with the Spirit. Yield control of your life the Spirit. And when you do, when you yield control of your life to the Spirit, when you cooperate with His work, when you allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will grow you. Now, now listen, you know what Paul says over in Galatians chapter 5. He talks about the fruit of the what? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness, and gentleness. Right? That, That Paul says, listen, The Spirit of God has come and indwelt you to grow you in Christ-like character, to make you more like Jesus Christ, so that the Spirit can send you out in the character of Christ and in the power of Christ to draw people to Himself, you see? So here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit indwells you as a believer so you might grow in Christ-like character, so you might go out into the world, so that through you the Spirit of God might draw people to Himself. That's it. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus, and he uses you to do it. And so then the question becomes for you and me is, are we cooperating with the work of the Spirit? What are you filling your life with? Are you filling your life with the Spirit of God, where there really is power and victory and empowerment to do his work? Or are you filling your life with something else? Now, it gets interesting, right? Because we see this taking place in Acts chapter 2. And everybody's amazed. Like, what's going on here? And you see here in the passage that that some accuse these followers of Jesus of being drunk with wine. And so Peter stands up. Now, remember who Peter is. He's one of the 12. But as you read through the Gospels, you see Peter's got his issues. There's times when he gets it wrong, times when he gets it right. He's a fisherman who Jesus has absolutely transformed. And he stands up 
and he begins to interpret what's taking place. And what he does is the same thing we talked about last week. Last week we said that Peter helps people to understand what's taking place by taking them back to Scripture. And he does the same thing. Listen to what it says. People are asking what's going on, and we don't understand this. And, And Peter stands up, and he says, listen. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people aren't drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what, uttered, what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And so, so what Peter does, now you've got to listen carefully. He takes them back to the book of Joel. Joel was an Old Testament prophet. And Joel prophesied about a day. When the Spirit of God would come and descend on people, regardless of where they came from, regardless of their background, regardless of their gender, regardless of their economic status, the Spirit of God would come and, and, and rest on people and change them, right? And they would speak boldly, prophetically. They would have dreams and visions. And so Peter says, this is what's happening now. We are in the last days. God's redemptive plan is coming to fruition through Jesus Christ and the coming of the Spirit. And what Joel talked about in Joel chapter 2, you're seeing it take place right now. And then listen to what it says in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then what he does, he starts presenting the gospel. Are you following me? Look at what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. You know who he was. He drew these big crowds. He was here. And he did mighty works and deeds. Now listen to what he says. You've got to watch carefully. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You have to understand, right? That that when Peter makes these statements, when he preaches this sermon, this is not a feel-good sermon. This isn't three ways to make your life easier. This isn't five ways to be a better parent. This isn't four ways to get out of financial debt. This is not that kind of sermon because Jesus, or excuse me, Peter in boldness looks into the eyes of the people who've gathered who are wondering what's going on. And he says, this is about what you did. You crucified Jesus. But he didn't stay dead. And your Bible that you're familiar with, your Old Testament scripture, It told you this. It told you, one, that the Spirit was going to come. And it told you that Jesus was coming, that he would die, and that he would rise again. Look at what he does. He quotes Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I saw the Lord always before me. You come down to verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And and Peter goes on to say, that passage isn't talking about David. Look at what he says, verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Are you with me? Peter's saying, listen, this psalm, Psalm 16, 8 through 11, where the psalmist talks about his soul being abandoned to Hades, that wasn't talking about David because we know that he's in a tomb. But Jesus is not. This psalm was talking about Jesus, right? Furthermore, furthermore, not only has Jesus resurrected from the dead, he has ascended to heaven, exalted at the right hand of God. And then he comes down in verse 34, and he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Then he goes on to say in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom what? You crucified. You see? It's masterful because Peter stands up in the power of the Spirit and he explains exactly what's taking place, that the Spirit of God has come. Jesus promised that he would come. And you remember who Jesus was. He was the one that you crucified, but death could not hold him. Your Bible said that he would rise from the dead, and he did. And your Bible said that he would ascend to the Father, and he did, you see. And so Peter is explaining exactly what happened in the power of the Spirit, and the results are phenomenal. He shares the gospel, and look what takes place. Now, verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they asked, what do we do? And Peter says what? Repent. Turn from your sin and give your life to the Lord. And the Bible says that 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. 3,000. This is amazing. But, but, but check this out. You've got to get this. This is why it's so amazing. Go back to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, you know the story. God had given Moses ten commands, the law, and he was still on Mount Sinai. And the first command was what? You shall have no other gods before me. And while Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai receiving the law of God, the Hebrew people were at the foot of the mountain doing what? Breaking the law of God, the first command. They built a golden calf right? And, and they worshiped that golden calf as God. And then when Moses came down, he saw it took place. He, he broke the tablets the law were on. I mean, God was obviously angry. And you know what happened on that day? Exodus 32, 8. Now watch this. 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died because there's sin and rebellion. And it's just a reminder to us that we can't keep the law. We can't obey the law. We've all been guilty of idolatry. We've all been guilty of theft. We've all been guilty of, of adultery, looking after someone with lust. We've all done those things, right? And we deserve, now watch this, we deserve to be numbered among the 3,000 in Exodus chapter 32. We deserve to be numbered among those who experienced on that day when they worshipped the golden calf. We deserve to be numbered among them and experience the anger and judgment of God. But listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not numbered in the 3,000 in Exodus chapter 32. You're numbered in the 3,000 in Acts chapter 2. Because Jesus Christ came and lived the life that you could not live. He was perfect because you could not be. He kept the law because you could not keep the law. And then he died in your place. And he took the punishment that you were deserving of. He took the judgment that was coming your way upon himself. And he died in your place and rose again three days later. Ascended to the Father and sent his spirit. And now here we are, not numbered among the Old Testament people who died in Exodus chapter 32. We're numbered among the 3,000 in Acts chapter 2 who were saved because they believed that Jesus died and rose again. And, 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 and I know my time, but listen, you got to stay. Don't go anywhere. Please stay in your seat. Buckle your seatbelt because it gets a lot better. You know what happens? These 3,000 people, they begin to live on mission. Think about it. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says what? That, that Jesus promised that the Spirit would come and people would be his witnesses where? Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? 
Now what takes place? These people who gathered, who were saved, came from where? The ends of the earth. And they would go back to their homes, taking the gospel with them. In fact, let me show you something. Let me show you something. Go to Acts chapter 11. Go to Acts chapter 11. Nobody's asleep, right? If you are, wake back up. Acts chapter 11, look at what it says. You come down in Acts chapter 11 to verse 19. Verse 19, Acts 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them in Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Here's what's really interesting. Jesus told the disciples before he ascended that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What's interesting is the apostles don't leave Jerusalem. They stay in Jerusalem. But people, like the 3,000 who gave their lives to Jesus on that day of Pentecost, they would go. Acts chapter 11. Outside of Jerusalem, outside of Samaria, outside of Judea, in a place called Antioch, people come to faith in Christ. And, And a church, a very influential church, is started in Antioch. Here's the question. What were the names of the people who started the church? We have no idea. And isn't that good? That God takes ordinary people, ordinary people changed by the power of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and God uses ordinary people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He doesn't use the apostles. They stay in Jerusalem. He uses ordinary people. You know the apostle Paul. Paul was the missionary to whom? The Gentiles. He wanted to go to Rome. When you get to the end of Acts, he gets to Rome. You know who's there when he gets to Rome? Believers. Believers in Jesus Christ. Paul's going to Rome to be a missionary. They beat him there. Who beat him there? We have no idea, but they're there. Ordinary people possessed by the Spirit of God, filled by the Spirit of God. Listen, listen, listen. Here's what I'm saying. I love our church. I love all the resources we have. I love our facility. I love our music. I love the programs we put on. I love our church. But our facilities have not won one person to Christ. You follow? Our building hasn't gotten anyone saved. Our programs in and of themselves have not led anybody to Jesus. 2200 Green Ridge Road is not expanding the kingdom. But you know who is expanding the kingdom? Ordinary people like you and me, filled with the Spirit of God, living, submitted to His Spirit. You see, we don't need more buildings. We got plenty. We don't need more programs. We got plenty. What we need are more people filled with the Spirit of God, letting God doing a work, do a work in them so that as God does a work through you, He might do a work in our community for the sake of the kingdom. You see, we need people filled with the Spirit. And so, so, so listen, as we close our time together, here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit empowers ordinary people to move. This is what we see in Acts and we'll continue to see is that people move all throughout Acts, taking the gospel wherever they go. And so the questions that you and I have to constantly ask ourselves, will you live in the power of Christ 
or for pleasure. What we see in Acts, if the Spirit has come, He has really come to give us power for the work of the kingdom. Will you live in that power, or will you continue to say, you know what, it's just not a good fit for me. I'm going to live for my pleasure instead. Ask this question, will you stay or will you go? That sounds like a song, doesn't it? Will you stay or will you go? Right, Because right now, if the Spirit lives inside of you, He is moving you to someone. He's moving you to someone or some people that are far from Jesus. Will you stay or will you go? Will you live in boldness or fear? I mean, think about it, right? Peter, an ordinary fisherman. Acts chapter 2 speaks boldly. Ordinary people scattering across the known world at that time. People who we don't even know what their names were. Speaking boldly, not in fear, boldly. Peter, bold, you crucified him. Man, aren't we in a day and age where people need bold truth? To know that sin really is an offense before God. To know that, that, that there is really punishment for sin, but there's also really hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about this, will you choose life or death? The same Spirit of God that was at Pentecost some 2,000 years ago is here in this room this morning. 2,000 years ago, 3,000 people responded and turned from their sins and chose life. Now, 2,000 years later in this room, there are some of us who the Spirit of God is convicting and reminding us, showing us that Jesus lived and died and rose again for you. And so the question becomes for you this morning, are you going to choose life or death? Are you going to choose to give your life to the one who gave his life for you? Or are you going to choose to continue to reject him and walk in darkness and be eternally punished because of that? For some of you, today is the day that you listen to the Spirit's call and you give your life to Jesus for the very first time. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. In the back of this room, there are a couple of crosses. There will be people, counselors at those crosses who would love to talk to you and tell you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. In a moment after I pray, move. Get up. Start walking to those crosses. And today, turn from your sins. Turn from your rebellion and give your life to Jesus for the very first time. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, be filled. It's as simple as that, right? The Spirit indwells you. He lives in you. Cooperate with Him. And maybe in your life you've noticed it. You're not being filled. You're not cooperating with the work, work of God. You're not seeing growth in Christ-like character. You're not on the move for the kingdom. Maybe for you as a follower of Jesus today, knowing how the Spirit works to draw people to Jesus and empowering people, ordinary people, to be on the move, maybe today is a day for you to repent and to recommit. God, help me be filled with your Spirit, to live my life in the power of your Spirit. However God leads you in these moments, you respond to him in obedience. Father, thank you for this morning and for time together in your word. Now I pray, Father, that as we reflect on your word, as we hear the voice of your spirit now, help us respond repentance and in surrender. For that person who's here, who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray right now that person would come and give his or her life to you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation together. You come as the spirit of God leads you.